Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We are going to talk about the loss in the NIT, the struggle to keep our coach, the, quote, spring game that was an open practice that wasn't going to happen and did, and then we're going to dig into OUTCU baseball as well as dealing with the ramifications of Tech playing for a title. That and a whole, whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Before we get into our show, we want to thank our sponsor, Teen Life. If you haven't yet, go to teenlife.ngo to find ways to support local junior high and high school students that are finding resources to make good decisions for their life. If you know, like I do, that it's difficult to be a teenager, to raise a teenager in this world, Teen Life offers real-life resources in order to empower students to take control of their future. We want to thank our good friend, Jeff McCain, who's a friend of this show and a friend of the Frogs, who goes out of his way to give of himself to make this amazing outreach possibility. Uh, possible. So if you haven't yet, go to teenlife.ngo to learn more about how to make a tangible difference in the life of teenagers in DFW and beyond. If you haven't yet, you need to hit that up. Oh my goodness, we're going to talk a lot about TCU basketball. Um, I'm just going to say this, and then I'm going to pivot to you, Jeremy, and I want to hear what you have to say. TCU laid an egg against Texas. It's really hard to go 3-0 against one team, but the Frogs swept Texas in the regular season. They lost in the NIT semifinals. Longhorns go on and win the NIT, and then all Hades broke loose. Uh, I got 100 questions for you, but you tell me, Jeremy, what happened with Coach Dixon in UCLA? <laughs> Man, you're just coming right out of the gate tonight. Uh, I mean, obviously... UCLA had an interest, and it, there's so many different things that you can look at. Uh, was there ever a negotiation for the buyout? Was How serious was UCLA? And, and all I'll say is from the beginning of this, even even back in January, we all discussed it as media as much as how, how much will Jamie look at this job, UCLA? And, and I've posted on the board a few times, and – I don't mean any disrespect to TCU, but let's face it. UCLA is a better basketball school than what TCU is. And you're talking about a guy who is originally from Los Angeles. He's born and raised there. He still has family back there. His mom and dad are still there. Uh, his dad, I, I believe, is is in a pretty poor condition right now. So having a chance to be close to your family would have been pretty big. His, par- his wife's parents live back there in California. And you're, you're talking about a blue blood program. I don't care if they haven't had really good successful seasons of late. They're still a blue blood. I mean, it, I, I don't care. It's just like when Texas was going in, in, in the shambles with uh, Mac Brown and they brought in Charlie strong. It's still a top five job in, in football in college football, whether, you know, no matter how bad they did. And, and for UCLA, when you think of college basketball, you think of Duke, you think of North Carolina, you think of Kansas, uh, Kentucky, UCLA. I mean, that's you're you're thinking of those programs, and uh, I, I don't blame him for being interested. Even back in January, when we talked to him first about the whole job opening, he said it's UCLA's what I watched when I started watching, you know, playing basketball. UCLA UCLA basketball is what drew me to play basketball in the first place. So. To, to answer your question as best as I can, I think he was obviously on their the top of their list. And depending on who you believe, UCLA said they people that cover UCLA said that they were not going to pay that eight million dollar buyout. People that you talk with uh, on TCU side is saying that UCLA never they never negotiated anything about the buyout, anything like that. I, on a personal basis, I think, I think Jamie probably wanted to have a chance to go to UCLA. Uh, and a lot of people I, that I've spoken with that either know Jamie or know enough people in the basketball program has, has not said he's mad about not being able to go to UCLA, but he's more sad. Um, but I know he also likes the job at TCU and he feels like he has unfinished business here, but it's I, I'm not in the belief that he turned down UCLA. I'm in the belief that UCLA, UCLA was not going to pay that buyout. And I heard it from enough people on, on both sides that that's, that's pretty much what I've come to the conclusion that it had UCLA paid the 8 million buyout. He would have been headed West. 
Well, Jeremy, that leads me to the obvious question. How does the program recover? How does Coach Dixon get momentum back in recruiting? And how do fans deal with the fact when they go to Schulmeyer Arena this November that they'll be looking at a coach that maybe if he had his way, he wouldn't he wouldn't be here this year. He'd be out there in uh, uh, California. Tell us a little bit about how you think the program recovers from this incident. Well, I would say winning cures all. I, I think people easily forget things. The the more wins you have, the, the more uh, uh, good things you have to talk about the program. Uh, so it, it, in Let's be honest. We we all went through the same thing last year with uh, Schloss going to Mississippi State. I mean, it was all but done. And you you listen to some rumors out there. He was even recruiting Mississippi State players. So uh, it I think it's like I said on the board. I, I think TCU and and the fans and Jamie and, and everyone will get past it. I I really really want Jamie to come out and say something. Um, whether it's just spin control or whatever it is, he, he, he does need to say something um, to the fans. And, and, and really that's, that's been the whole big mess of this whole ordeal is just, he's not saying anything. He's not, he's not denying anything. He's not, he, it, it's just kind of, I, I can see where the frustration comes from a fan perspective because he's just not really saying anything. Victor Boschini's saying something. Jeremiah's now saying something he's tweeted about stuff. Um, but, I, I think you could get past it, uh, depending on who you believe. It's it, it's really in your own mindset how how because people are gonna they're gonna be cynics one way or another. They're they're either gonna be mad because he's still the coach because they didn't like the job that he did this year, getting paid what he's getting paid, and they probably wanted a new coach anyway. And this was a good way for them to get that new coach. And then you're gonna have the guys that really love the program, really love Jamie Dixon, uh, know that he's done a good job coming in here and making this basketball program relevant. And I'm in that camp. I, you know, the, the fact that people don't think that he's made this program relevant is kind of crazy in my opinion, because I do think that, you know, you're, we're talking a lot about TCU basketball more than I don't, I don't remember us ever getting up in arms about Jim Christian when he was leaving or, uh, Trent Johnson, when he was leaving, when, when Jamie Dixon came on, every fan was excited. They knew he was going to uh, change the face of the program, and and he has. And he, he's made them relevant. But I, I think they get past all this. Uh, it, it's going to take, take some time. He's, it's going to be more in-house that he's got to prove to people that he's truly committed to, to making this program better. Um, as, as far as administrators, coaches, and, and the players, most importantly, the players, and and really the guys that he's out there trying to recruit. And if, if you have a if you have a recruit and their family asking, well, coach, what's this deal about UCLA? Then you've got to say, hey, I had a chance to go to one of the blue blood programs in the country, and I chose to stay here because I want to build this thing into my own. That's what he's got to say, whether it's a bunch of bull crap or not. That's what he's got to say. He's got to make those families and recruits be- truly believe that he is here to stay for the long haul. And, uh, and, and, and really until he, he comes out publicly and say that I, I can get the unrest in the, in the TC fans minds. But like I said, in the very beginning, winning cures all. And, and that's what they've got to do. If, if they go out there and they make it to the tournament, they're going to be like, Hey, remember that time UCLA tried to get Jamie Dixon. Now look at where TCU's at. So it's, it's, it's just going to take some time. I don't want to sound like the grumpy old man, but don't you think that the era of social media has really transformed these kind of coaching searches to where they really play out in public? You know, you go back to when I, w- I remember the headline that, that Coach Patterson of Kansas State was a done deal and then it didn't happen. And then the next year, the Frogs, you know, went to the Fiesta Bowl. So I think winning does cure everything. But don't you think the way that media, and I'm not blaming the media, but like your ability to access information constantly. Um, back, we just had message boards back when Patterson was looking at K-State. Don't you think that's changed the way that, that these coaching searches unfold in the, in the anxiety of the, of the fans? Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, that's <laughs> Twitter's the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> uh, I'll be yeah. Say honest. that again. Twitter's the worst thing that's probably ever happened. I mean, it's it just when you give people an open forum to just go out there and spout whatever they want, and in this day and age, it's it's really you know still there's people trying to be the first ones to report it. I mean, last week we saw you know people from UCLA were reporting that it's a done deal. 
and everyone's just everyone sees the first headline and that's what they automatically assume they everyone with the state of social media it's it's always jumping to that conclusion i mean i don't have to go into a political spill to to tell you the ramifications that have happened when people believe some things on social media but it's it's the day and age that we're in where we're we're living in that to where whatever people say that that's the truth that's that's what you got to go with but yeah, I think it makes it, uh, it it's it's tougher for not only uh, reporters, but it's tougher for the the people that are directly dealing with this stuff. I mean, how how much do you think UCLA wanted it out there that they were even looking at you know Dixon as the leading guy, and how much do you think TCU really wanted it out there that UCLA wasn't going to offer that eight million, and you know TCU is not budging from that eight million. And there's some people out there that say, you know, TCU, uh, they can't believe that they didn't let UCLA negotiate that buyout and, and go down to let Dixon take what's being called by some people a dream job. So it, it, it's just all there's 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 no secrets anymore, guys. I mean, this day and age we live in, it, it's tough to keep anything hidden. And, and when you get something this big, I mean, everyone is looking at everything. I could tweet out tonight and say, Dixon listening to UCLA, question mark, and it, I would probably get a thousand retweets or a thousand replies. I mean, it just that's how it is. So, I mean, that's that's what we live in. It's never going to change, Jeff, from this from this day forward, moving on to the future. It's, it's not going to change anytime soon. You say there's no secrets. Uh, there are a few things we need to talk about, Jeremy. So, uh, nah, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and pivot here. I don't know that there's anything left to say on that other than Dixon stays because, in the words of Jeremiah Donati, athletic director, because he's our coach. That's his tagline. So, Jeremiah Donati says it. It's true. So, Jamie Dixon stays at TCU. Uh, let's go ahead and pivot over to where what really launched this podcast in the first place, which is TCU football. Uh, we had our spring game that got canceled. Tell us a little bit about the cancellation, and then we get an open practice that happened. Tell us a little bit about how the open practice came about, and then we're going to walk through position by position. Well, the, the spring game was – a. I don't want to call it a spring game because Coach Patterson doesn't like calling it a spring game. You tell him you had a spring game, he'll say, no, I didn't have a spring game. It's never been a spring game. Spring scrimmage, they usually have a end of spring to conclude the spring camp. They'll have like a spring scrimmage. So anyway, the the number of in, in, injuries right now at TCU is crazy. If you're over there on Friday night, there was probably as many red jerseys as there were purple and white. I mean, it was just so many. But that's why he really didn't want to have an open practice to anyone because it wasn't going to be that fun for anyone to come out to when you have basically over 30 players that aren't even playing. And, and he even said 11 or 12 starters that wouldn't have been playing. And it, I don't know how much interest there is, but uh, for for some diehard fans, they'll, they'll go out there and watch the third teamers go against one another. So. Um, I'm glad he changed his mind and he joked around with us after the thing and, and said, what, you know, I, I told you guys earlier in the week, y'all, what did y'all think y'all are going to be the only ones that get to come out here and see this and, and not the fans and, and this and that I, I April fool and you guys. And so he, he was, uh, you know, kind of joking around about all that, but I, I think maybe he got some heat from someone and said, Hey man, at least open, at least open up the practice and for an hour and just let let these fans see see what we got. Well, let's go ahead and talk about what's on everybody's mind. What did you see at the quarterback position? I know we had Alex Delton that was out getting a little work on his leg, nothing threatening. Got to see some Justin Rogers action. Got to see some Max Duggan action. Tell us a little bit about where where the TCU quarterback race stands, and uh, specifically, what did we see from Justin Rogers? Because, man, I didn't know we had so many people that were osteopathic experts on the board that were able to kind of break somebody down in terms of their health from two plays in a bowl game. I'd love to know what you saw at the at the open practice. Well, it, I mean, I I thought both quarterbacks had their good moments. And- both quarterbacks had bad moments. Uh, 
let's start with Justin. I'll start with Justin. The first pass of the game was a touchdown, and he threw an absolute beautiful pass to Tay Barber. Tay Barber made a great catch on the play, too, because Jeff Gladney, actually, that was a surprise because Gary had told us earlier in the week that he wasn't going to be practicing, and next thing we know, he's out there. But Jeff actually had really good coverage on Tay, and Tay just made a great catch, but the, the catch was made possible by the throw from from uh, Justin. It was just really a good throw. Uh, he had some other good throws later in the game. He's Velocity-wise, I don't think he's got a, as strong as arm as Max, but that's not saying he's got a weak arm. I, I think he's got a very strong arm. Uh, there, there was uh, a few plays where it seemed like he would complete a pass, but the, the refs were so good quick on the whistle they did not want Justin they they didn't want any of the quarterbacks getting hit period so they were very quick on the whistles early on in practice but I think overall they he he made some good decisions uh he the the throws that I liked were downfield he he had a a good another good throw well he he it was good throw good spot he got away with it actually Keenan Reed should have intercepted but Artavius Lynn made a great catch but the thing that we saw from both guys is they're going more downfield. They they're throwing more vertical. So that was, that was something that was promising to see. And uh, as far as running, uh, he's, he's quicker than what he was, but I, I still don't think he's anywhere close to where he needs to be. And even Gary said that after the practice that he still got a long ways to go mobility wise. Uh, I will say he had a, a, a pretty decent run up the middle, but there was also a play where he scrambled to the right where it looked like he uh, he didn't run very fast at all. It looked just like the, the, the uh, Cheez-It Bowl play where he just kind of bounced off the guy and had to run to the right, and he didn't look that mobile. So it it's still a little bit of a ways to go for him, but I, I do like where he's at. I mean, he's a big kid, big kid. He's he, – it's funny because Max is six two, but he dwarfs Max. I mean, Justin's—he's got to be six five, six six in cleats. I don't know. He's just a big looking kid. But overall, I was very pleased with him. Just just the fact that he's worked to where he's at now is just kind of mind boggling because it's it's tough to come back from those type of injuries. Drop foot—you never know how how long it's going to take for that process of healing and and really getting back out there and and making plays. I don't know. I I don't know where he'll sit in the fall, uh, and the reason why I say that is because Gary said after practice is that he's not as quick as the other ones, and basically I know that's a big part of TCU's offense. And he mentioned Alex Delton as the guy that is the one that we all should have been able to see because he's really really quick, and he just made a comment about it out of the blue, but. I, I'm interested to see how Justin's going to keep progressing. If he can, uh, and I said this on the board, if he could get to where he's 100% and he's able to run the offense consistently as a dual threat guy, then he will he will play. And I say, the only reason I say the dual threat is because that is what their offense, they're not going to change their offense when they feel like Alex has a good enough arm, as strong as, as, strong as Justin's or Max. With Max, Max may have the strongest arm of all three. They're not going to change the offense up because of Justin Rogers. And they're not going to become a pro style offense overnight or during the offseason. They're gonna they're gonna keep a, a dual threat quarterback. They're gonna make it to where the defense has to defend a running quarterback because that's what Gary hates to defend. Well, that makes sense. That's a good update. Um, I am really curious to see what Delton's able to do on the field. Um, we will we will talk about that at the very end here. You know, you mentioned Tay Barber had a nice catch. Anything else that you saw from the wide receiver core? Obviously, Jalen Rager's been out a little bit here. Anybody else you saw in the wide receiver core that is uh, worth noting? I, I thought uh, Andre Davis looked pretty good, and I thought uh, Artavius Lynn made some good catches. That was That was good to see because – they don't really get the tight ends involved. And I think he had about three or four catches out there. So it looked like they were trying to at least get tight ends more involved. I didn't, I did not see pro Wells. I, I don't know where he was at, but uh, I think those two, Aldontre Davis and, and uh, Nigel Meeking had a pretty long play too on a, on a really good throw by Max. 
Okay, that's good to know. I'm really curious about wide receiver. I think if they're able to get Rager, get Barber, um, obviously John Steven Jr. into the into the game, and then be able to you know get you know Artarius, you know get Lynn, maybe get Pro Wells into there to be that H back with with the with the guys we got in the backfield. I think that's got the potential to be a really good offense. But we we need somebody else other than than Jalen Rager that can get down the field. So that'll be curious to watch through this offseason. You know, one of the uh, positions that's obviously going to be a great need for the Frogs is defensive end. You know, you got uh, L, you know L.J. Collier, who is going to be taken before Ben Banigou, which who would have thought that a year ago? But both those guys are going to be taken um, in the first two days, probably, the NFL draft. What did we see at the guys that are coming in at defensive end? And I'm really curious to your assessment, especially of Plant. Plant had two sacks. Uh, the defensive ends were, were decent. O'Shawn Mathis had some, uh, some pretty good rushes. But, uh, I mean, overall, they, they still got a lot of growing up to do. They don't have a lot of depth at the position. Once they get guys like Shamik Blackshear, uh, he, he – uh, He'll add some definite depth to the to the unit, but I thought Adam Plant did pretty well. But I will say this: he was going against Brandon Brown, and poor Brandon he he has not played. He he got told he was going to play left tackle the on Friday morning. Basically that morning, he got told, "Hey, we're going to put you at left tackle tonight today." And so that I think that's why Adam got around him a couple times. So if anyone was out there trying to figure out who number seventy five was. It, that that was Brown, and, and typically he's more of a guard or even a right tackle. So uh, don't don't start thinking he's he's a bad player right off the bat if that's the first time you've ever seen him. So just uh, be patient. But you know the defensive ends. One thing I do like about them is they look athletic. O'Shawn and and Adam Plant are just man, they are just some good looking kids for as young as they are. O'Shawn's a, a redshirt freshman. Plant's a true freshman. Those those two are just different looking defensive ends for TCI. I, I know it's crazy to say that, but you got to remember Ben and LJ were both you know redshirt seniors, and you're talking about two young players looking the way they're looking right now, and just envisioning what the future holds for them two or three years down the line. I mean, I I could see, especially Oshan being a guy that's going to be talked a lot about if he has the kind of career that folks think he's going to have around there. It, they're, they're going to be talking about him as a first-round pick in the next three years. Whoa, write that down. That is some breaking news right now, Hot Sports Opinion. I am really curious to see what those guys at defensive end can do. I think they're going to pay the price on a couple of key plays, and I think they're going to show up at a couple of key plays. So I think there's a really high ceiling for both those guys. Sorry, I kind of skipped ahead here a little bit. I didn't get a chance to ask you. Uh, Max Duggan obviously is in there. We talked a lot about Justin. I want to wrote back to Max. Um, highest rated recruit in the last class. Clearly a kid that has uh, has a strong arm and has a lot of uh, has some good mobility. Tell us a little bit about what you saw from Max on the open practice on Friday. I think Max has a really really high ceiling, and I've I've been high on him for a long time. Uh, especially after I went and saw him play this past year in person, I will I will say he's he's got an absolute cannon and he he's not afraid to let loose on some throws. He has a really strong arm going out outside on out routes. Uh, he could throw the hitches, get him out there to the sideline pretty fast. He had a really nice ball to Nigel Meekin, the the pass I was talking about earlier that Meekin hauled in. It was a really nice play from from Max. I mean, perfectly in stride, and and the ball just spun I mean it was a seed I mean it just it was a, a pretty pass the the bad side about him is he did throw a couple of interceptions he threw one to Meeking where it looked it, <laughs> it was a bad pass it was a wobbler and Meeking got hit right when it hit his hand so the ball went up in the air and, and Van Zant picked it off and returned it his other interception he had, I want to say it was Darius Davis had slipped behind Vernon Scott and he underthrew that pass and Vernon had a, a great play and, and, and got the interception. Uh, but that was, that was two of the bad, bad plays that I can remember right off the top of my head. It, there was another play where had it been a live game, he would have thrown a touchdown pass because, I mean, he was letting go of the ball as soon as the defensive ends touched him and they called it a sack. But that's the kind he's he's going to be quick. He's going to be able to move 
uh, and, and scramble around uh, pretty fast. I mean, he's he's definitely – I don't know how mobile he is compared to Delton. If you listen to Gary, he's saying Delton's the most mobile. But out of Justin and Max, he was definitely more mobile than, than Justin. The thing I like most about Max is it, if, if you just – Think about it for a second. This kid has only been removed from high school for for three months. He does not look like a freshman out there. He looks so comfortable. He looks poised. He looks like he's ready to run the offense. This this kid, I mean, he him and Justin both look really comfortable. I will say both both of them look comfortable. But when you have when you have quarterbacks that get, that get injured and and they miss a lot of action, your veteran quarterbacks, just like last year for TCU. It had, had, had same scenario happens this year and Max for whatever reason is third string or maybe even fourth string. If Mike Collins comes back good, if Mike Collins goes down and Delton goes down and Rogers goes down, I'm fully confident in a kid like Max Duggan to come in there. I'm not going to be going, Oh man, this freshman's going to be, he's going to be way in over his head. If that's one thing I could take away from what I've learned this spring, just watching him and, and talking to folks that I know and trust, is that this kid is going to be a playmaker. And he has come in, wowed his team, teammates. His teammates love him. His teammates love him. They there, There's a spark that comes to the offense when he gets in there. And uh, it, it's obvious. You, you can see it. He's, he's a coach's son. He knows how to lead. And I, I think uh, – I think it's going to be an interesting battle come this come this fall because I, I can't get Gary to tip his hand. He won't say who's leading. He just says all all the quarterbacks are doing really well. But uh, it, it's going to be something interesting to watch this fall. One of the questions we had on the board that I was basically forced at gunpoint to bring up to you is – who is going to be the kicker this fall, and why have we not been able to have a kicker that's done anything since the day the first Alamo Bowl comeback came back uh, ended? That seems to be a reoccurring issue. What did you see on Saturday that gave you any confidence about the future of our kicking game with the people on campus? And uh, just address, actually, do this: calm the nerves of frog fans that have a lot of questions about the kicking game. I can't. I can't calm their nerves. Oh, you didn't need to say that. It's a Sunday. Take us to church. <laughs> I, I'm just going to tell you, it, it was – they started off great because Bunce and Song both made 47 yarders. And then after that, it was just – it was not good. Um, yeah, it's just not good. The The fact of the matter is, is it, it's going to be an interesting battle to watch this fall as well. If I'm saying right now, if Griffin Kell comes in here and shows half a pulse and shows that he can consistently kick with those guys and maybe a tad better, he's he's going to win the job. I'm telling you because Gary is Gary is done. He he said it straight up after I haven't posted the story about it, but uh, I might have put the quotes in there somewhere. But he he said we can't accept the kicking that that's going on. Nine of sixteen ain't going to cut it. And he said, let me tell you right now, that job is wide open. He said, "We just had two kickers up here visiting today, so <laughs> they're 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 very much in in the realm of they they want to, and that might have been I couldn't figure out who the kicker was. It might have been Griffin Kell that was up there watching. Uh, now that I think about the statements he made to us after after the practice, but I, I would say that there anyone in that anyone that watched on Friday." For me to come in here and say it's going to be all right, they're going to see right through me. I'm not going to feel them full of that bull crap. You, can, you guys know I, I shoot you straight. I'm shooting you straight. There's a there's a problem at kicker. It, it sucks because you, you, you're you replacing arguably the all-time greatest kicker in TCU history. You're talking about a guy when he goes out there and, and lines up for a 50-yarder, you don't have to worry about you, what you're talking to your buddies in the stands about is how, how – how far is this kick going to be made from? He is it going to, is it going to look like it could have been made from fifty five or sixty yards? You didn't ever say. Oh, I hope he doesn't miss it wide left or wide right with Jaden. And now you line up for a forty five yarder, and you're you're thinking, can they make it that far? Can they get it forty five yards? And I'm just telling you guys, it, it it's not a, a position that Gary Patterson is confident in all, at all right now. He's not confident for that position. 
Well, that's real encouraging. Um, <laughs> you know, multiple people have said on the board that there's three losses from the 2014-2015 season if we don't have Jaden Overcrome. You know, I, I could think of West Virginia. I could think of the Alamo Bowl in 2015. W- what else comes to mind? He, you know, did he hit a big kick in the OU game in 14 that I can't remember because it's so long ago? But uh, maybe K-State in 15 on the road in Manhattan. But those those kicks matter. You know, that's the difference between a top 16 finish and a top 5 finish, top 4, you know, top 10 finish. So I don't have to tell the, you know, what, what I think is one of the best coaches in college football that we have to fix that. But, um, hey, guys, we have to fix that. So I think we'll the uh, I think the kick against uh, the kicks against Oregon and the Alamo Bowl just magnify everything because, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about after Oregon goes up, Jaden has to hit a 47 yarder in overtime to 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 keep the game going and he just nails it right down the middle from that would have been good from about 60 and that's what I'm saying you don't have you never had to really worry about it with him and and I I hate it for TCU fans because I don't I don't know when it's ever going to be like that again when when you have a kicker come through and be as successful as he was I just keep having flashbacks to Arkansas 2016 when uh, all we needed was the kicker I had on my high school football team in Iowa 3 3A. Uh, we could have won that game because oh that that there's a lot of losses that have stung in being a frog fan, but losing to Arkansas in 2016 for some reason just sticks with me in my crawl like a piece of coleslaw. I can't get out of the back of my teeth. So, ugh. Let's uh let's let's hope that Griffin is is good to go. Let's hope that he is good to go. Anything else, Jeremy? Before we move on from the open practice slash spring game from Friday night, anything else from your notebook that you want to share with fans that you think our listeners would want to know about? Uh, I thought Garrett Wallow played really good. Um, I like Demarion Holmes. I, I think he's going to have a bright future. He's another athletic kid. Noah Daniels had a good good. Uh, practice had a, a couple breakups uh, including one that was on a, a deep pass let's see Barkley I, I, I want to see him become more consistent he had a, he had more than a few drops and that's a guy that they were expecting to come in right away and and, and be able to help that receiving core so he's got a he's got a lot of work to do this offseason to get more consistent I, I like I said earlier I, I love that they're getting Artavius Lynn more involved because man he is a he's a good looking kid Everyone's going to remember the hur- the hurdle where he fumbled and everything else, but you got to realize the kid's like 6'6", 245, 250. He's a good-looking tight end, and he can get downfield. And I, the the play that when he when he snatched that ball away from Keenan Reed, that was a really good athletic play. That that told me something that hey, now they can trust that kid if they if they got to throw a jump ball, maybe he's maybe he's an option. Maybe he's an option in the red zone. The the red zone offense, I thought, was off and on. I there were some good moments, bad moments. Jordan Sandy, I really didn't. I think maybe he punted once in the practice, but in the warmups, he was kicking pretty good. And I think I put this on the board that he was kicking from the forty yard line uh, on the north side of the fifty, so he was kicking toward the scoreboard end zone, and he booted it from the 40 and it almost hit the stands. So basically about a 55, 60 yard punt in the air. Uh, and he's got a strong leg. But I asked Gary after the practice, if he's going to be more of a rugby guy or more of a straight on guy. And he said, they're still, they're trying to teach him to become more of a straight on guy instead of the rugby guy that he's, he's been used to. Uh, let's see what else, what else? Trayvon Morg looks really good. I think he's good safety. Vernon Scott, Gary said he's had the best spring of his career this year. So that's that's really promising. Our, our Darius Washington, I like that kid. I don't care how big he is. He's just got really good ball skills. He's he's a smart player, always around the football. And I think that's why Gary likes him too. When you, when you get those guys that are smart, he loves those players. And, and really, we've, we've seen it proven in the past. He doesn't care if it's a four-star safety or a walk-on. If you if you know what you're doing, if you're aware on defense, then then you're going to play. But uh, let's see, we we went over offensive line, offensive line. I thought Coy McMillan did pretty good. I don't remember any any plays happening to where you thought man center had a bad snap. 
uh, center missed a block, anything like that. I thought Coy McMillan did pretty good. And that's a position that Gary said that even before Kelton had his uh, the surgery that ended his spring, he said that was a position that we were looking at really seeing if we're going to change some things. It, and he said we weren't really pleased with it. So either he's reading Horn Frog Blitz on the message boards where everyone's talking about Kelton. Probably. <laughs> And then needing another center, then I mean, obviously they're 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 seeing some of the things that we saw, but uh, the offensive line I I thought did fairly well. There there wasn't a whole lot of running plays though. Let's just let's be honest. That I think Darius didn't play, Amari didn't play, Shawo played, but he played very limited. But when Shawo came in, he was really good. I mean. <laughs> But they didn't again. Like he was treated like a quarterback, but before anyone could even barely get a hand on him, they were blowing the whistle. They and they didn't let him tack, get tackled. So just just so you know, he couldn't lower his head and just just bruise up anyone. But uh, he he did look quick. He he did take a nice flare pass from Max and and took it down the sideline for a pretty big gain. Uh, let's see, Al Dontre Davis scored a long touchdown. They didn't let him score a touchdown, but he would have scored a touchdown off the pass by Matthew Downing, mind you, the fourth string quarterback and the uh, the the uh, transfer from walk on transfer from Georgia. He's actually Downing probably he he might have thrown the back shoulder fade better than anyone else. Uh, he had a he had a couple of really nice back shoulder fades, and one of them Barkley dropped, and that's probably why I'm picking on Barkley a little bit more than I should, but. It would have been a nice, really nice gain for the offense. But overall, uh, back to offensive line, so I, I don't get too far away. I know McKinney played left tackle. Bolasomi, he looks like a grown uh, – he, he looks like – believe it or not, he, he was already big to begin with, but, man, he looks so much bigger. He just Their tackles are huge. Uh, Esteban Avila looks big. I mean, they recruited him at guard, and he was working right tackle. He, he looks like he's gained a lot of good weight as well, but – He's There's the kid at Grand Prairie, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's it's tough to assess everything because, man, there's just so many guys out. And I joked around saying they had to go to Academy to get more red jerseys because, man, there's just so many guys that were out, uh, big-time guys. I mean, you had Jalen Rager out. Alex Delton was out. Darius was out. Lucas Niang was out. Uh, Austin Myers was out. Kelton Hollins was out. And John Stevens, everyone wants to see what John Stevens can do. He's out. Tavalence Hunt, another receiver that people wanted to see, he's out. Uh, it, uh, Dylan Thomas, the guy that Gary Patterson keeps talking about his Ohio State game. <laughs> Every time you talk about receivers, Gary will say something about Dylan Thomas in his game against Ohio State. I'll, I'll bet you ten bucks he will say something about it. But uh, he's he's been out all spring. So it, really, a lot of the offensive side of the football. Did I even mention Jalen being out, Jalen Rager? I mean, so you, you had a lot of guys that, that weren't even playing that are going to be difference makers once they get out there in the fall. But it was smart for them to get some of these minor things, like Gary said, minor things that were cleaned up. Uh, it, spring's the time to do that. Spring, for especially for the older players, they know what they can do. They've seen them on the field. They've been through uh, the, the, the spring practices, the fall practices. They all know what they can do. And spring's the time that you want to get things cleaned up. So by the time fall comes around, you got a healthy roster, and they and they and they've worked rehab through the off season, and they're ready to go come August and ready to go for their first game. So overall, it, anyone that went probably was like, "Man, this was actually kind of boring." And I don't blame you. I mean, that's that's how it is. But uh, it, it'll be a lot different come fall when when you get all these guys back and healthy. Not to go all conspiracy theory here, what do you take? What's your take on all of the injuries? Because it seems to be chronic for the last couple of years. And I'm not going to be like, oh, we have a bad training program or our strength coach or whatever. But at some point, is it more than bad luck? What's your What's your thoughts on that? And what's more importantly, what is Coach Patterson saying on that? Have you heard anything from him on that? I think I think it's just bad luck. I mean, two years ago they didn't have this. I mean, you're you're talking you're talking about injuries to a ton of people and some of them have come in in, in non-contact drills it's just freak injuries and it's it's just really bad luck I, I will say this I think the conspiracists that that think it's anything to do with Don Summer or the strength and conditioning or 
man, take off your tinfoil hat. I don't think that has anything to do with it. And I don't think any of the medical staff or, or coaches up there think the strength and conditioning program has anything to do with, with the injuries that are happening. It's just, it's just, just crazy. It's you're talking about a coach that's been there 19 years and it's, it's taken this long for this kind of injury bug to happen. And Don Summer's been there for, I can't tell you how long, a long, long time. And, and for him to, all of a sudden be getting a lot of this blame just kind of asinine to me because I don't think, I don't think it's he and his staff at all. That's, that's the reason why some of this is happening. I'm going to agree with you. All right, let's go ahead and pivot to recruiting here real quick. The one thing I want to start with is there has been a avalanche of crystal balls coming in for James Sylvester, the big defensive end, one of the top defensive ends in the country out of Newton. Uh, you put in a crystal ball for him as well as Gabe Brooks, Mike Roach, other people that follow Texas recruiting pretty close. Where do the Frogs stand with him, and what's the date for his commitment? Because this is a big kid to put into your 2020 class early. Yeah, I mean, I talked to him, and, and he loves everything about TCU. And and it, it's funny because he, he went up there for the pro day, and he, he, he got up there toward the end of pro day, I should say, because I saw him walking around, and I thought, oh, there's James Sylvester. Uh, after everything was done and, and the players were leaving the indoor, that's when he started coming in. They, I think they have to stay in the weight room during the whole testing part. They could be on campus, but they have to stay in the weight room. So he was stuck in the weight room while all of them were doing the doing the drills and stuff. But he sta- he came up there that Friday with his family and stayed till Saturday. And and w- when I talked to him, it's just like he he almost got emotional just talking about TCU. It's crazy because you could just sense the genuine feeling that he had about the frogs and just the relationship he has with the coaches and uh, Fitch in particular, he loves coach Fitch. Uh, and, and he loves the fact that his, his buddies are going there. Darwin and, and uh, Josh have been recruiting him to, to go to TCU for a long time. And I think it like, like Darwin and Josh, especially with Josh, it's, it's kind of like Newton to them because TCU is not a big university there's a, a tight family feel. You don't have 500 kids in a class. It's smaller classes. And when you got kids coming from a small, tiny East Texas town, Southeast Texas town like Newton, going to a big school, it, it sometimes is overwhelming for some of those kids. And not just Newton in particular, but any small town kid. And when you have a, when you have a chance to, to maybe continue uh, at, a, at a big time college, program wise, football wise, like TCU, but you still get to experience small classrooms, smaller campuses, and 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 really just get that tight family feel. I think that's why TCU stands out to some of these these smaller town kids. But I he's he's making his decision on May twenty fourth is what he told me. He's he's doing that on his birthday. He wants to make it a special day. But I put in my crystal ball for him because I've I just talking with him, knowing that he, he, the way he feels about TCU, he didn't have one bad thing to say about him. He just, and like I said, it's like, oh, I can almost sense him getting emotional talking about TCU. And I, I've reached out to some other folks that, that, uh, cover A&M and, and asked them, Hey, there were so many crystal balls for A&M early in this process. I and mean, where, where's that stand now? And, and a lot of them have said A&M's really not heavily recruiting him right now. Uh, it may not be any longer, but I think even if they did come back into the, into the picture, that it would be hard to overtake TCU. James told me straight up TCU's by far at the top. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, things can change. Uh, I mean, I was told by Alec Bryant that TCU is one of his favorite schools and he committed to LSU the next day, but I, I feel confident with James going to TCU. <sighs> That's good to know. One of the other guys that we keep asking about is Abercrombie, the defensive tackle out of uh, uh, Rice, who's going to be a grad transfer. He won't be able to be on campus until this summer when he graduates this May. Got to drop this joke from one of our posters on the board, Jeff McCain. Uh, If he's standing on the sideline with his position coach, it will be Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, Dad jokes galore on this page. Uh, Any any update on that? I know we kind of ask this every every uh, episode, but it's something that people are interested in. Any news on him or any other grad transfers that you think the frogs might be in the market for? Specifically, maybe even a kicker. Uh, I haven't heard anything on kickers. Um, I I know that they would talk to a defensive tackle grad transfer, and I'm assuming that that would be Zach. They may look at a wide receiver grad transfer too, um, 
but as far as that goes, uh, I haven't heard anything recently. I think there's still some communication there. And <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think he's really talked to any other teams here of late. It, it's just kind of a weird situation because they don't really have there's 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 ways they can work work on it to get them in, but I don't want to sit here on this podcast and try to explain it uh, because it would be loopy to the listeners and it's loopy to me even just thinking about presenting a way to say it to guys. So I'm just not going to comment it re- on it really at all, but I do know that there's there's still some talks uh, between the two and. We'll see if it happens. I mean, he doesn't graduate till May and obviously can't get on campus till June. So they got a little bit of time, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, they they really don't need a defensive tackle, but if you can get a guy like him to come in and, and, and really be a veteran and give give uh, a couple of those other big defensive tackles a, a little breather on the sideline for a few plays a game, then, hey, it's worth it. One of our posters wants to know about Brooks or Richardson. Are either of those guys gonna, you know, possibly come on board? Is there, um, you know, one of them's opened up his recruit? Uh, Brooks has at least reopened his commit, uh, his recruitment. Is there anybody else that um, might be on commitment watch for the Frogs right now in the twenty twenty class? I feel really good about uh, Dominic Richardson right now, um, and I know TCU does too. And he's visited there two times already. And he's got some. He's got some other good offers, but I, I really think TCU's done a really good job on on really Richardson and Brooks uh, so far in process. And there's some other guys out there that can that they can go after pretty good. And I, I think the reason why they haven't done that yet is because they do feel so confident about landing at least one of those guys. Uh, I've been told that they're going to take two of those guys, but as far as uh, you know, which which one commits first, I don't know. I know. Uh, Jade Barron and, and Dejon Harrison are, are working hard on getting Brooks because he's their buddy. He's from C- Central Texas. They want him to uh, join the fold, and 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 I think both of them are going to continue their efforts until he does uh, become a frog. But yeah, I feel really good about both those guys. If I was to have a gun to my head and, and have to figure out which one was going to commit first, I would probably say Dominic Richardson just because he's visited here a couple times already. Anything else on recruiting that you think our listeners would want to know? That's kind of the lifeblood of a lot of people on our message board. A lot of guys that listen to our podcast is what sets us apart. Anything else on recruiting you think would be good for our listeners to know? Well, there could be a commitment coming up. Oh, anything else you could say about that or just there may be a commitment coming up? There, I mean, there's, there's going to be a couple visitors on campus on, on Monday. They're, they're, uh, they're in town, but they're not going to get on campus till tomorrow. Um, and they're all the way from Virginia. So this, that's just kind of telling you how, uh, how far uh, everyone outside the state of Texas likes TCU right now because I mean, they seem to get a lot of momentum uh, as far as uh, you know guys from outside the state. But if you if you take a look at uh, two of the guys that are coming in, one of them is a huge position of need in uh, Artreek Barlow, and he's a big offensive lineman, and they need offensive linemen in this class. They they need tackle guard types. He's six four, three hundred pounds, and what I've been told is that. TCU feels extremely good about him committing, and and Brian, the guy that uh, kind of brought uh, the, the first fact that he was visiting this weekend on, uh, he thought he was visiting this weekend, but it actually turned out to be Monday. But uh, he feels really confident. He put in a crystal ball for him. Uh, he's got some good connections up there in Virginia. He's he's got the East Coast pretty much on lockdown. So I I think uh, if Brian knows something, then then it's a it's a good thing for TCU because if he's putting in that crystal ball for for the frogs then then he definitely knows something. So just be on commitment watch. It might be one of those deals where he visits. So don't be hitting F5 all day on Monday. I'll just tell you that right now. Don't don't hit F5 all day on Monday because they're going to be in town. He visits on Friday. So uh, he'll be in town, visit. If he feels like everything is right and TC feels like everything's right, then I can see him making a commitment. But he wants to go home first and talk to his family. Uh, before he makes anything public, but 
right now it looks like TCU's got a, a great chance to land him, but I don't want to put any guarantees on it yet. The the guy that's coming in with him is uh, Nakai Meredith. Uh, he's a he's another big, highly recruited guy out of Virginia. It's funny because they're they're TCU's really trying to get their footprint into Virginia now. But he's a, a guy that they've been recruiting for a pretty long time. I mean, I remember him getting an offer a, a couple of years ago, and uh, he's he's always been as soon as he got from TCU, he was really talking about them good. I mean, he, he really liked uh, what they do as a defense. He's a safety, and they need safeties, and it, it's one of those guys. I don't think he's ready to mid anytime soon, but, I mean, the fact that he's coming down visiting is, is pretty good. All right, I'm going to pivot here. We're going to bring Daniel in to talk about two of his favorite subjects, Baylor and Texas Tech. Um, Obviously, by the time we started this show, Baylor had won the women's Final Four national champions in basketball. Women's basketball program is the Baylor Bears, Lady Baylor Bears. And then tomorrow night, Texas Tech plays for the national championship. Daniel, how do you feel about having one national championship in the state of Texas through the Baylor Bears women program and the possibility of, of all people, Texas Tech claiming a national championship in basketball. If you have to go to work or bump into people at the gas station or the golf course that are Tech fans or Baylor fans, are you prepared to deal with the onslaught of insanity of both of these programs bragging about a national championship? Well, it's interesting because... What will actually be worse would be the Baylor fans because they are convinced that women's basketball is the most important sport in the world, um, which they're um, unfortunately that's not correct. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm okay with Tech winning. I I don't care for them obviously very much, but if they win in basketball, sure. I mean, I I think that looks probably better in the big 12. I obviously don't want Baylor to win anything ever, but, um, I, a tech can do something here and there and it doesn't bother me too much. You know, I think it was our last episode that I kind of ranted about the problem of, you know, what it would be like if tech won the, the national championship at basketball and how awful that would be and how it would be so much different than say Oklahoma win the national championship at football. That said, I'm kind of pulling for Tech tomorrow night because, you know, part of me part of me is kind of pulling for Virginia because, you know, they lost to the 16 seed last year, and for them to be able to bounce back and win the national championship the next year would kind of actually be poetic. I'd be cool with that. But, man, uh, that'd be a great story for the Big 12, for Tech to be able to win it. I don't know if it's because I live in the SEC now here in Memphis that, you know, it is okay to have a little conference pride. Maybe that's rubbed off on me in the seven days that I've been here. But do you think, you know, Daniel, do you think it would be good for the Big 12 for for Texas Tech to win the whole thing? And uh, I guess I'll just ask you again, can you stomach Tech fans wearing national championship hats for the next 35 years? (laughs) So it only takes seven days to get the SEC disease, huh? Looks like it. Yeah, that's a fast-acting bug. Um, speaking of bugs, and never mind, I was going to make a tech joke. Uh, <coughs> come on, y'all, this is going to be funny. Uh, yes, my anyway. mic hasn't been working if you haven't t- been able to tell. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, can I stomach it? <sighs> Probably maybe at first because I do think, you know, it's good. Like, okay. Yeah. It's good for the big 12, but it's not like it's Oklahoma or Texas or something. It's someone kind of random. Like Texas tech isn't, I mean, what are they actually a, a, a blank school football, baseball, basketball? I mean, what are, what is tech other than a dirt school? And so if they win in basketball, you know, whatever, as long as they don't turn into the basketball school uh, of the big 12, you know, like I said, it doesn't bother me if they do something, you know, here and there along the line. Um, but of course I cannot, I would not be able to tolerate if Baylor does anything ever that I just can't handle that. So my, my hatred for tech 
um, doesn't come near my level of hatred for Baylor. Somehow I had to work Baylor back into that. That is hashtag on brand to be able to stomach that. Yeah, I guess I'm okay if Tech wins a national championship because, you know, hey, good for them. You know, we need the conference to be able to do something other than Oklahoma make the playoff and get beat in the first round and not get at the title game. I think it's good for the for the conference. It's good for the longevity of the conference, which, you know, we're probably two years away from Twitter going crazy on realignment uh, um, nutso. So I think it might do something to solidify the strength of the conference that it's more than just Oklahoma football and Kansas basketball randomly. So I think it would be good for the conference. I did see that the fans rioted the other night when they won the the semifinal game. They didn't win the championship game, and they went full Kentucky, burning couches, tossing cars, um, did like $15 worth of damage by destroying eight blocks in downtown Lubbock. So we'll, we'll see what comes of that. But, yeah, I'm pulling for Tech tomorrow night, and I'm not too big to admit it. So we'll see what comes of that. I want to get a prediction from, the, from all three of us. Jeremy, we'll start with you. Who do you have winning the, the national championship game between Virginia and Tech? I will say, it, on my opinion, for uh, Texas Tech, I, I'm rooting for the Red Raiders tomorrow because I want the Big 12 to win. Uh, and plus I could stomach them winning a basketball championship more than I could. If this was for the national championship in football, I probably wouldn't do it. Like I, I couldn't stomach it very well, but I think they're going to win, man. I think their defense is just playing outstanding. Uh, I love Chris Beard as a coach. I think he's extremely good. I don't know how long Texas Tech's going to be able to keep him up there. Uh, but he, he may turn into be one of those guys that just wants to stay there and, and build something really, really good and make Texas Tech into a basketball school. We, we don't know that, but I think the Red Raiders are going to win, and uh, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of people running around in, in uh, Red Raider National Championship ball caps and T-shirts. And You know, as a, as a good Christian, Jeff, I, I, I like to see the less fortunate people have something good to, to brag about. And, uh, you know, for Texas Tech, they haven't had a lot of things to, to brag about lately, and let them have let them have their moment. That, let them have their moment, Jeff. That is Matthew twenty five enacted there, man. You, you're caring for the prisoners, for the outcasts, for the hungry, for the poor. You know, Jesus is going to ask you when did you know? We're going to ask Jesus when did I see you hungry or thirsty? And you'll be like, I pulled for Texas Tech in the national title game, and Jesus is going to be like, Enter into the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundations of the world. So I'm cool with that. That's a pretty good reference there. I'll go for that, Jeremy. <laughs> Daniel, who do you have between Virginia and Tech? Uh, I'm gonna go with tech. Let's you know, let's do it. Um, let's have you know, let's somebody steal the thunder away from Kansas and I guess to a lesser extent Baylor. Got to work that back in there. And uh, you know why not? I, th- I think that'd be kind of cool. And it's it I like you were saying about the, the the whole conference cheering on thing. I'm not for that much, but I'll do it this time. I don't I don't mind too much in basketball, especially for a not particularly basketball school. Like if it was Kansas or something, screw Kansas. You know, I don't give a crap. Um but for tech, why not? You know what's crazy is like there's gonna be a ton of people cheering for Texas Tech tomorrow night. Not because they're tech fans or big twelve fans, but because the people in the SEC felt Auburn got cheated so bad. <laughs> at the end of that game for Virginia to win. It was the right call. It was the right call. I mean, the, the kid did get touched when he was shooting the ball, but I, you know the SEC is going to be cheering on for, for Tech, too, just, just because Virginia kind of won that cheaply. I like the call on the three. You can't miss that travel. That's the problem. You could, I, that, that call on the three, hey, that's not ticky-tack. That's a foul. If a shooter is impacted, especially below the waist on a shot like that, it's going to impact it. But, oh, you can't miss that travel. So I think you're right there, Jeremy. I think there's going to be a lot of people pulling for Tech. And I will say this, and for people that don't know, I am a diehard Kentucky basketball fan. I was born in Frankfurt. I grew up with it. It's uh, I'm, I'm the equivalent of a T-shirt fan where it's just it's where I'm from. I never went to school there, so it's just in my blood. But uh, – I'm pulling for Tech because they're at least not caught up in one of the 37 freaking FBI investigations against college basketball. So I say good for Tech. Um, 
I don't want to use some stupid cliche about how they do it the right way because it's college sports. But that said, I you know it's hard not to pull for Chris Beard. I really like Coach Beard. I think he's done a great job there. It's obviously a job that he wanted. And if they win, I think it's good for, for Texas Tech. And I think it's good for the Big 12. And I think it's actually really good for college basketball. Hey, can I uh, mention something here real quick? And I, I don't want us to go. I'd be remiss if we went this whole show without saying this. Have you guys ever seen two national champions in basketball? Because Texas just won a national championship the other night, if you guys didn't see that. Oh, I did see that. I tweeted that out. They freaking put it on their website that they were the national champions for winning the NIT. And having won the NIT two years ago, I don't remember us hanging a national championship. Now, it is the National Invitational Tournament. So, in theory, it is a national championship. No. No. Are you sure? It's, a na- it's literally a national championship. Someone tweeted that even UCF is embarrassed by this picture. <laughs> now, wait. Hang on a second. That is an invitational tournament. And the football playoff, you are invited into as well. So, does it also not count? Because I don't like that format myself. Just pointing it out. I hadn't thought about that. That's a great do way to look at it. That, do you think that Central Florida should have been the national champions because they went undefeated, Daniel? But it's an invitational, and I don't like ESPN because... Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go away. <laughs> oh, come on. Tell us how you feel about ESPN. No, uh, some other time. I just think it's funny because it's you're not. It, it is a tournament. You're correct, and you have to be invited to play in the tournament. But it is not the tournament. It is not the tournament that everyone talks about. Uh, you know, the NCAA tournament. It's the National Invitation Tournament. So you're you're basically playing, and the re, how I put it is, you're playing in the silver bracket. You're not playing in the gold bracket. It's like if you if you have a tournament and you got forty teams, and I'm I'm using volleyball terms here, and you go to you play in pool and you you advance, you advance, win, advance, and you get put in the silver. You're 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 grouped up with a, a bunch of second place teams or third place teams from your pool. You're putting into a silver bracket. If there's 40 teams, if you win that silver bracket, that does not mean you're the champion. You're not the champion of the tournament. The tournament champion is the tournament and the number one overall team in the gold bracket because that's where all the best teams went and played up in the gold bracket. You know, let me quote one of my favorite theologians, uh, Reese Bobby, if you ain't first, you're last. So Texas was first in the NIT. So in theory, they'll be better than the loser of the game between Virginia and Tech. Because if you ain't first, you're last. It's really hard to argue with that kind of logic. <laughs> Someone said that they're... But what, they're, they're in two different races, yeah. though. So it's really not comparable. But I digress. Yes. ESPN is awful. And but so is Baylor. All right, I have to drop this quote. I, I remember this quote from two or three years ago when Chris Beard took the job at Tech. You know, he'd had the job at Little Rock, Arkansas. Arkansas, Little Rock. And then he took the, the UNLV job. And then a week and a half later, Tubby Smith left to come to Memphis and le- opened up the Tech job. And then, uh, you know, Chris Beard pulled a Manny Diaz, had the job for a week and a half, two weeks, and then took the tech job. And there was this great quote on Twitter from a guy named Bunky Perkins, who I don't even think he writes for anything. He's just kind of a, a sports uh, troll on, not a troll, a sports guy on, on Twitter. And he said, Little Rock, to Ve- uh, Little Rock to Lubbock with a quick stop in Vegas sounds like how a guy with some warrants live. And I thought that was one of the best lines ever. Little Rock, to, Little Rock to Lubbock with a quick stop in Vegas sounds like how a guy with some warrants lives. And I thought, you know, that's that sounds like a, a Merle Haggard song. Is I started up, I woke up in Little Rock, I headed out to Lubbock, but I had to make me a quick stop in Vegas because my mama told me I needed to. So <laughs> I thought that was a great line. <laughs> 
That is an awesome line. Little Rock to Lubbock with a quick stop in Vegas. All right, we're going to bring this show to a merciful end. Um, if you haven't yet, please go online and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would appreciate that. Find us on your podcasting app of choice where we can get this show downloaded right into your app, uh, your, your podcasting app every morning morning when we record this show on Sunday nights. And also, if you haven't yet, please join HornFrogBlitz.com. Easy way to stay connected to everything that's going on with TCU. If you're interested in the slightest bit on to what's going on with you know when we have the transition or the curiosity with the coaching search with coach dixon what's going on in recruiting updates on injuries all that stuff you're going to find at hornfrogblitz.com you need to join today if you haven't yet so for daniel southern and for jeremy clark i'm jeff mitchell thanks for listening to the frogcast